X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Tuesday, February 9. Today, back in the day, February 9, 1895, the first game of Mintonette was played. William George Morgan was born in Lockport, New York, January 23, 1870, and he studied at Springfield College, where he met the inventor of basketball, James Naismith. Morgan was inspired by the new sport, but noticed not everybody was able to play. He wanted to create a game that everyone could play, no matter age, physical ability, capability of catching. So while working as director of PE at the Holyoke YMCA, he began working on a sport that drew from tennis, badminton, and basketball, and other sports, and he had a custom ball made of the new game. It was about half the size of a basketball and not as heavy. He developed the rules and he launched his game, Mintonette. On February 9th, 1895, today back in the day, he showcased the sport to the world. Somebody attending the event suggested to Morgan that he change the name from Mintonette to Volleyball, as the ball is volleyed over the net. And so today, back in the day, February 9th, 1895, not only was the first game of Mintonette, but the first game of volleyball. Today, back in the day, February 9th, 1964, the Beatles played The Ed Sullivan Show. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, live from New York, The Ed Sullivan Show. And now, here he is, Ed Sullivan. The appearance was the first of three negotiated between the band and the show producers. In exchange, the Beatles got their travel expenses covered and a $10,000 appearance fee, an unprecedented amount. 73 million viewers around the world broke records when the beloved British band made their debut. That morning, George Harrison was sick with tonsillitis and was unable to show up to the rehearsal. And Later that evening, they played to the audience that would be aired as their live debut. 728 people watched in Studio 50. About 100,000 times that watched on television. It's Black History Month. To celebrate, we are highlighting the lives and achievements of black Oregonians. Today, we remember Dr. DeNorval Unthank. You may have been to his park. Unthink was born in Allentown, Pennsylvania in 1899, moved to Kansas City at age nine, got his Bachelor of Arts from University of Michigan, his doctorate from Howard University in 1926. He then got recruited by Union Pacific in Oregon to serve as a doctor for black passengers. He settled in Portland in 1929, got pressured by his white neighbors to move. His Westmoreland neighbors first offered to pay him to leave as much as $1,500. When he refused, the Westmoreland residents began harassing his family and vandalizing his house. Unthank eventually had to move four times around the city before finding a neighborhood that was not openly hostile to him. He was Portland's only black medical practitioner throughout the 1930s. He was also a prominent figure in the fight for civil rights. He served as the first black member of Portland City Club and was the president of the local MAACP chapter. Now, Self-Enhancement Incorporated, started by Tony Hobson, has its primary facility nested right by that Unthank Park. Norville Unthank was named Doctor of the Year in 1958. And Portlanders all over owe a debt of thanks to Norville Unthank. X-Ray. Today, we'll have your weekly Portland City Council update. We'll also have an interview with Hannah Mertzbach, Senior Correspondent for Street Roots. First up, though, it is time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. So what is the future of electric cars in Oregon? Transportation is the largest source of carbon emissions in Oregon and elsewhere. And if the state is going to reduce emissions to below 75% of 1990 levels, we're going to have to make changes in transportation. One of those changes could be encouraging the use of electric vehicles, EVs. 
2017, Governor Brown signed an executive order aiming to have 50,000 all-electric cars on the road by 2020. As of February 1st, the state has reached about 60% of that target. By the way, it's now 2021. That's still twice the number of electric vehicles were on the road when Governor Brown signed the order. But what is holding EVs back? Infrastructure is a big issue. Governor Brown has introduced a new bill that would invest in new charging stations all over Oregon. One of the challenges of driving an electric vehicle is if you don't have a charging station. At the federal level, Biden and Senate leaders are working to create 500,000 new charging stations nationwide. And all the attention on electric vehicles is helping some of the members of the Oregon auto industry. Last Wednesday, the stock of Arkimoto, an electric EV maker, soared to $1.6 billion. Shout out to founder and CEO, friend and friend of the show, Mark Fronmeyer. And now it's time for your daily dose of data. The Oregon Health Authority reported 305 new coronavirus cases yesterday. It's the lowest number of daily cases the state has seen since October. So maybe it's a sign that the vaccines are working. The state is at a total of 147,122 cases. OHA also reported one new death. That brings the total number of deaths to 2,023. The state administered 18,255 vaccine doses. Monday was the first day that Oregonians 80 years and older could get the vaccine. 168,000 elderly Oregonians are able to get a COVID vaccine at either the convention center or a drive through clinic at the Portland airport locally. The number of Oregonians eligible for the vaccine still outnumbers the actual number of vaccines we have. That means only 3% of the new group will be able to get their shots this week. OHA also has a new tool on their website that helps you figure out if you're eligible for a vaccine and where you can get it. Oregon is close to catching up on its unemployment benefit backlog. Oh, here's a new story. No, no, we've been talking about this for about 11 months. Self-employed people and gig workers who are still waiting on benefits can expect to see payments in the next few days. Unemployment Department has paid benefits to around 70,000 self-employed workers. They'll be receiving their normal benefits as well as the federal payment boost, which will last until March 13th. Joe Biden has proposed another extension lasting until September 30th, the end of the federal fiscal year. But that proposal is part of a larger stimulus package that has yet to pass in Congress. Lawmakers hope to get the bill finalized and passed by the end of this month. That's February. Mayor Wheeler supports creating a police team to respond to shootings. It sounds a lot like the gun violence reduction team which was disbanded last year after public outcry and protest. The team disproportionately stopped and arrested black Portlanders. And critics said there was not enough evidence that the team actually reduced gun violence. Disbanding the gun violence reduction team was one of the few concessions the city gave to thousands of racial justice protesters. Police Chief Chuck Lavelle proposed a revival of the team a few weeks ago. He cited increased gun violence during the pandemic. But gun violence is on the rise all over the nation, not just in Portland. His proposal includes seven people, one sergeant, four officers, and two detectives, available 24 hours a day. Mayor Wheeler also encouraged Portland Police Bureau to coordinate weekly shooting reviews with county police, as well as state and federal prosecutors. The money for these activities is included in the existing PPB budget. But come June, the Portland Police Bureau would have to secure more funding to expand their project. 
then the Bureau will have to reckon with a community that remains split on what community safety should look like in Portland and if there should be any funding for the police at all. An Idaho member of Congress has revealed plans to remove four Snake River dams. These hydroelectric dams provide power to millions of people. They also, though, do threaten our region's endangered salmon population. The $33 billion plan would remove the dams, find ways to plant their roles in energy, agriculture, and transportation. One of the proponents of this tends to be private power manufacturers who don't like the idea of public power. The money for the bill would come from the federal stimulus package expected soon this year. The plan was proposed by Republican Representative Mike Simpson. This surprises some, but for those who track the history of public power and dams, Republicans opposing public power is not all that surprising. Environmentalists have also supported removing these dams for a while. Idaho once had millions of wild salmon migrating through the water. Now, just a few thousand each year. The plan is a bit of a ceasefire. Electric companies have poured billions of dollars into conservation efforts that haven't worked. On the other side, environmentalists have spent billions in lawsuits trying to save the salmon. And on Monday, Governor Kate Brown endorsed Representative Mike Simpson's plans. And finally, some good news. There might be snow in western Oregon at the end of the week. As of Sunday night, there's about a 40% chance of snow and sleet in the Portland metro area starting Thursday and even into the following week. Weather predictions are, of course, pretty uncertain. But we do know for sure that next week is going to get cold. Meteorologists think there will be the coldest temperatures this winter. So it'll be a good time to grab a blanket, a warm drink, and a loved one if they're in your pod and get good and cozy. And, and that's that today's, today's Quick, Quick 6, Six Local, Local Rundown. Rundown. It's Tuesday. Time for a weekly update on the Portland City Council. This is your weekly City Council update. All right, welcome to your weekly City Council update. Last week, our commissioners opened the session by addressing the increase of gun violence in the city and played a video memorializing the lives of those lives lost to gun violence in 2020. I'm going to let Joanne Hardesty speak on that. Um, This is a clip from that session. I am pleased to say that as a council, we are collectively uh, addressing this, A, as a public health issue, not trying to find simple solutions to very complex problems, being open to innovation, uh, like talking to the people most impacted by policing, Black men between 14 and 44, making sure that they are part of what we build to make sure that we're reducing gun violence in Portland. We also know since the pandemic began in March, we've seen over 150% increase in domestic violence. We know that uh, many of the deaths that we saw um, in the video uh, can be tied directly to domestic violence related issues. Council then went on to initiate local improvement district formation proceedings to construct street sidewalks and stormwater improvements in the Errol Heights neighborhood. Commissioners were particularly excited about this as it may set a standard for initiating road improvement projects in the future. Errol Heights is located near Reed College and is known for its rural feel. Of course, this means the neighborhood is subject to gravel roads, which develop potholes when it rains. Residents addressed council explaining the lack of stormwater infrastructure leads to basement flooding and the potholes make the area unsafe for their children. Construction on the new roads will begin in the summer and as a bonus, a new park will be added to the area. 
Following that, council held a discussion with community members regarding the Monsanto lawsuit the city of Portland has been working on for several years. City of Portland, along with many cities nationwide, are suing Monsanto for the production of PCB chemicals that have polluted our natural areas, specifically waterways. Now the lawsuit is settling, so commissioners needed to revise the settlement agreement and authorize the process for the distribution of funds received. The use of funds will be determined by public process. This coming Wednesday, council will consider appeal of the Pearl Neighborhoods Pearl Neighbors for Integrity in Design against the Design Commission's decision to approve the contested Hyatt Place building. That's it for your weekly City Council update. More information, including agendas and virtual meetings, can be found at portlandoregon.gov forward slash auditor. X-ray. And next up is Hannah Meersbach from Street Roots with a focus on homelessness in Josephine County. Here are X-rays Julia Oppenheimer and DJ Ambush with Hannah Marsbach. As a newspaper, Street Roots has a reputation as a powerful advocate for those who feel they are have no power and no voice in Portland and beyond. Recently, the paper has started to receive calls and emails all the way from Josephine County in Southern Oregon. In that rural conservative county, a significant portion of the community is not getting the support they need. And so they turn to Street Roots for help. Now, reporter Hannah Mertzbach is here to help us tell their story. Good morning, Hannah. Morning, Hannah. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for waking up with us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So your article is just the first in the series you're working on. What's the focus of that series? Right. So the series is really looking at Josephine County in Southern Oregon. We're trying to answer the question, like, when happened? When you have a community that is very conservative, very anti-tax, hasn't invested in social services or affordable housing, really, what does that look like? What comes out of that? Um, We're diving into what's happening with homeless shelters, Mm -hmm. affordable housing, um, recent lawsuits that have come about. Um, So this first part in this series is really looking where started just looking at a family and the family had actually reached out all the way to street roots for help. Um, they are, they live in Selma, which is a very, very rural part of Josephine County. They've been living on a close friend's property and trailers for the past three years um, because they just, they can't afford anything else. Um, so recently the county found out they were living there and you're only allowed to be living on trailers on private property for 120 days. So basically they need to leave by February 11th now in in a county that's notorious for its lack of affordable housing and social Mm. services. How is it possible that that this family can be evicted even if the property owner says it's okay for them to be there? Right, right. Um, So in Josephine County, the county law is that you can stay on private property even if you have the consent of the owner, you can only do that for 120 days. Um, and you can only have two units. This county is living in two trailers right now. I mean, you can only have one unit. They're living in two trailers right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happens is Oregon, in Oregon period, um, it's actually legal to live in any kind of camping vehicle on private land as long as you have the consent of the owner and so long as there is adequate water supply and sewage disposal, um, but you also have to be confined with local laws. So Oregon counties tack on all kinds of restrictions to 
um, restrict this. And I mean, this this policy isn't even the worst of it. In other counties, you're not even allowed to be living on private land like this. Um, but I mean, some counties have kind of eased up on these kinds of laws with the pandemic. Um, a few years ago, for instance, Portland um, decided to kind of deprioritize finding people for sleeping in RVs on private property. Um, so it really varies. If they get evicted, like, do you have any idea what the options are for them? Right. Um, so they are actually meeting with the county again on February 11th. They're going to have another inspection, and basically the result will be either the county is going to say, um, you got to get out today, or maybe give them an extension. They were hoping to have this extended till the summer just so they're not looking for housing and possibly living in their car when it's cold outside. Um, so the property owner, who's a close friend of theirs, has kind of said that the mom of the family, Amanda, and her teenage daughter could maybe live in his two-bedroom mobile home for a little bit. The son of the family, a 16-year-old, may stay with nearby friends. Um, the father might be living in his truck. So, I mean, it just the family might be separated um and that's really what they're trying to avoid their income really relies on they rely on state cash assistance they get 621 dollars a month um and if the family is not living together they only really get that assistance if the family's all together under oh, one roof wow. um so when this family is separated there's a possibility they could lose the little income that they have and then, you know, what are their options at that point? I mean, this is this is this isn't a, a unique situation. People are facing, um, you know, housing uh, challenges all over the U.S. Um, right. You know, you would think that the easy answer would be to give people as many options and avenues and resources to sort through this issue as opposed to adhering to some policies that, you know, in this, that, that just aren't relevant to the times that we're living in right now. Right, right. I mean, this is just a county that hasn't really invested in those policies. Right. Um, there is some, I mean, or in those options for people who are in these hard times, it's this um, county that is really fueled on this retired community that comes in with their wealth, mm. um, who don't really, who vote down all the levies who don't really care about paying taxes. I mean, they're just, this has created an environment where social services just aren't supported. They don't have the resources they need to support the community. Um, and the homeless community has just been growing and growing over the fast past few years, where it's the point where I think 1.5% of the population there is homeless now. Um, and they just, they don't really have anywhere to turn. The only shelter opportunity right now in the county um, is the gospel rescue mission. And they've kind of been categorized more as a as a transitional housing mm, um, okay. place. They, they separate residents based on sex. They require that you participate in a religious program. Yeah. And you know, that just doesn't, that doesn't work for all families, yeah, especially yeah. this family I'm focusing on, the Andersons. They don't want to split up their family by sex and i mean the mom has mental disabilities and they don't want to they don't feel like they can be in that kind of that kind of environment so yeah. i mean there's just 
this county just hasn't really invested in the kind of options um, to support these kinds of people. And I mean, this isn't just one county. We're kind of we're kind of looking at this. We chose this as kind of a microcosm to expand out. I mean, this is happening all across Oregon, all across across the country. Right, right. But speaking, you know, about Joseph, uh, Josephine County, um, they have a disproportionately high number of homeless people, of houseless people. Uh, what is it about that county specifically that either puts people at risk or doesn't provide the adequate social security nets for people that people need? Right, right. So I think a lot of it goes back to um, there's a history in the area of being more conservative, very anti-tax. Um, so this has defunded things like libraries and jails for a little bit since this public safety levy didn't pass. Um, they were kind of doing a catch and release policy with the jails. Um, and this is really, it's, it's trickled down to the social services. They're just, there hasn't really been the public will to create these kinds of options. Um, and because there's already been so many people that are this very conservative anti-tax um, way of being, it's, it's brought in more people who are looking for, for this kind of life. Mm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, they just haven't, people end up on the street because there isn't affordable housing. I mean, you look at just, you look at Zillow, you look at Craigslist. I mean, there's like across the entire county, and this is a very large county. um, There's like 10 available units that are under 1,500 a month. um, And they're all single, um, single family dwellings. There just aren't really low income apartments, um, anything of the sorts right now. That is very discouraging. Wow. Um, right. Hannah, what should our listeners do if they want to help the Anderson family or other families like them? Right, right. Um, well, let's see. You can write the their city commissioners um, in Josephine County, the city council in Grants Pass. Grants Pass is the um, is the largest place uh, city in the area. Grants Pass has actually been um, they've been making some moves lately to change this change this environment. So they're actually opening a shelter is going to be opening the first lo- their first low barrier shelter um, is going to be opening for 90 days. It's going to be a trial run. There mm. was some opposition, um, but that's going to be opening soon. Um, that is with Rogue Retreats. They are based out of Medford, um, so you can donate to Rogue Retreats. Um, you can reach out to the uh, United Community Action Network. That okay. is a very large uh, social services organization that can help these families. Um, yeah, yeah, anything helps. Thank you so much for that information, Hannah. Um, and thank you for the story covering the Anderson family. Um, man, I- we, we got to see some changes. We really got to see some changes in policy and right. hoping, that, hoping that this interview will help people get, you know, more involved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, stay tuned for my next articles or they're going to be a little bit more hopeful. I, I hope um, they're going to be focusing on that new shelter that's opening up mm-hmm. some opportunities for affordable housing in the area um, and go find a, Go find a vendor today to get the most recent art, uh, re- most recent copy of Street Roots. All right, thank you so much for anyone thank just you. tuning in. That was Hannah Merzbach, a senior correspondent for Street Roots. Thanks to Hannah for joining the local. Thank you for listening to the local, your hometown, in about thirty minutes. 
Thanks for subscribing and giving your five-star review. And thank you, democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.